Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and I'm telling you, I can't be more excited to share with you the story that's going to come from this woman I have as a guest today. For those of you who don't know Kimberly Marcus, you certainly will at the close of this podcast. Kimberly and I have gotten to know each other through... um, mostly digital means, right? So we started with an introduction from a mutual friend and we have stayed in touch through digital means and I invited her to the podcast and she enthusiastically agreed to be our guest. So welcome to the show, Kimberly. I'm so happy to have you shine here today. Thank you so, so much, Susan. It is such a pleasure to be with you this morning. Just your infectious personality made me say, absolutely, I would love to be with you today. Awesome. Awesome. People do say that, that, you know, there's a little bit of an enthusiast in me, so I can be persistent. I can be a little enthusiastic. I know sometimes I need to pull back on that, but I'm glad you said yes. It's our um, honor to have you here on the show. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. And let me just say that your authentic self is really (laughs) engaging and I appreciate it. And you'll learn through this podcast that we have so many similarities because, you know, as a young child, I was told to stop talking so much, stop trying to ask so many questions. But if I did not, I would not be where I am today. So with that, that, I am Kimberly Marcus, formerly Kimberly Chandler. I was born in California, Northern California, and uh, I grew up there for 18 years. I have an older sister and a younger brother and a younger sister. And um, I graduated from high school in Oakland, California and moved on to Clark Atlanta University, one of the best HBCUs around in Atlanta, Georgia. And I received, whoop, whoop. (laughs) And then I received my marketing degree from Clark Atlanta University and full-fledged went into marketing and sales when I graduated. But what I will say is I did not feel a sense of, of pride, of belonging, of giving back. And that's what plunged me into the type of work that I do today. Well, I am also... <laughs> Let me just say really quickly... I would buy, I mean, whatever you're selling, I'm buying because you have that personality. You have that gift of asking questions and, you know, getting people to open up and reveal more about themselves. So I'm buying whatever you're selling. So thank you so much, my friend. (laughs) And I would be remiss if I did not also mention that I am happily married to a man that I met 23 years ago uh, while in college. We have beautiful twin boys and girl. They are 13 years old and they are truly the apple of our eyes. They are the best thing that ever happened to us as individuals and as a married couple. And we are excited to see them continue to grow and then eventually move on to college. But I'll be right on their heels. I I, I joke around and say, (laughs) I'm going to move to wherever you guys go to college. (laughs) (laughs) That's so awesome. I love that. I I live for my child. He's 20. No, he's 20 still. He's 20 still. Um, And I used to tell him that too. And he'd say, mom, you can't go to college with me. I said, no, I just want to live in the same city. Exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> I get you. I get you. Um, and it's so much fun. It seems uh, having twins, you know, that's probably really fun for y'all. Well, what I will say is people who don't have twins say that. <laughs> but that's awesome. um, I am uh, very efficient in all that I do. So I had my boy and girl and, you know, pregnant once. And I said, oh, you know, I hit the jackpot. So only had to do it one time. And I don't know life any other way besides yeah. having twins, right? I don't have an individual child. Um, while they're individual in their personalities and even the things that they like, I was always um, accustomed to, you know, nursing at the same time, them wanting my attention at the same time, them developing at the same time, them um, being interested in sports at the same time. So I've always been pulled in two different directions, but a good pull. And they have... Yeah a friendship and a bond that can never be broken. So even when uh, they're unhappy or not happy with, you know, their parents are not happy with something that's going on with school, they have each other. So it is, it's a blessing and also a curse. And the curse is, is that they'll both be leaving my house on the same day Aww. when they leave. So I have that emptiness syndrome, like right away, just, you know, in one swoop. So yeah. um, I'm trying to prepare five years in advance. <laughs> that's, that's going to be a one, two punch right there. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I was thinking, I was gonna ask you and you 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 went right there do they get along are they close do they look after each other I think that's so beautiful when twins are are you know they get each other's backs and all absolutely so while okay. they have their own individual personalities and friendships they have each other's backs so they go to the same school they're in different classes but if they see that something has gone awry for that day oh they're gonna they're gonna jump in and they're gonna be that biggest advocate for each other. You know, they don't have to worry about mom or dad coming in for the rescue. So um, I, I like it. that type of bond. Also, they, you know, they gang up on the parents. You know, if I, <laughs> if I, if I say, no, you can't have something or do something, the other one will say, no, you know, well, they did this something great in class today, or they did great in sports. Why don't you let them? So um, I love that bond. And I do not try to uh, come between that. But what I will say is that I have my boy, he is a mama's boy and <laughs> the dad has his girl, right? She is a dad's Perfect. girl. So it works out really perfectly in our home. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. And the fact that they advocate for one another is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, my son always wanted to have a sibling. We didn't do that, but, um, I get it. The mama's boy thing. So <laughs> <laughs> totally get that. Um, and I, I think personally, if you ask anyone who knew me growing up, they'd say I was a daddy's girl. So I get that for sure. Well, you are such an amazing woman more than, than what you know, we're all more than what our bio says, right? But we don't get the chance to share that or show that, which is why I do this podcast to get to know people personally, not you, the title, because you, you've done amazing things. Your bio is blew my mind, right? You, you, you do great things professionally. And I'm going to ask you, what is your proudest professional accomplishment? But I also want people who listen to know that we're never going to veer from the fact that this show is about getting to know you, the woman, not just you, your title. But in, in before we go on to that, you know, personal side of things, I want to ask you, what has been your proudest professional accomplishment? Well, well, I appreciate you asking me that because we are more than just what's in writing. So yeah. um, we are, you know, a whole person. And 
while I stated earlier that you know, my background is in marketing and sales, and that's where I started in corporate America. It shifted very early in my career. I decided that I wanted to really give back. And it was really because I would not be where I was then or definitely where I am today without the help of others. So I wanted to be intentional in the type of work that I was doing. So after I left the really pure marketing and sales, I went into uh, working for a company where I put together and sold, so still sells, um, ethnic conferences. And so through selling these ethnic conferences in New York, and I had about 50 different conferences that I was responsible for selling, uh, I met Kwaizi and Fume, who was one of the speakers at uh, one of the conferences. And he was amazed at how well it was put together. And he actually asked me to come to Baltimore to work in his events planning department. And I said, you know, I'm young and living my best life in New York. Absolutely not. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to move. But then fast forward, 9-11 happens yeah. and I was ready to move out of New York. And my uh, boyfriend at that time, now husband, was getting his master's from Morgan State, another wonderful HBCU, and um, got in touch with Kwaizi and Fume. And he said, while that opportunity is no longer available, I'm revamping my economic development department. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is that? You know, I don't have a background <laughs> in that. He said, but you know what? I see something in you and I believe in you. And I think that you can do this. And that's really what pushed me into the affirmative action, the civil rights, the diversity, the equity and inclusion space. So I came to Baltimore, revamped his uh, economics department, wrote 15 consumer guides on behalf of the NAACP, on the practices uh, of the lodging, telecommunication, general merchandising, banking industry, and how they promoted people of color, used minority vendors and things of that sort. So that was a great opportunity that then uh, spurred into me starting my own diversity, equity, and inclusion company, where I went in and analyzed uh, uh, Fortune 100 and 500, uh, their initiatives and their programmings around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Back then, they called it their civil rights agenda and their um, affirmative action agendas. And so that was a booming business. And I really felt that I was being impactful to the minority and women community. And then fast forward, um, Jesse Jackson uh, actually asked me to come and revitalize his uh, government relations and international affairs department in Washington, DC. Uh, of course, I said, yes, I of did course. that. Um, I was able to testify, you know, um, on behalf of the minority community at the Federal Communications Commission. I was able to be very impactful when it came to home foreclosure in the minority community, as well as making sure that high-speed internet was um, uh, available yeah. to the underserved community. So this is really where the passion came from, right? I was like, I am actually doing the work that I was born to do. And then uh, I went on to the Democratic National Committee and I helped with the reelection of President Barack Obama. I was the director of African-American outreach. Absolutely amazing opportunity. Can we just pause here? Cause I'm, I got to pick myself up off the floor. Oh. Um, sure, my friend. You are like, I, I was like, I'm blown away by this. And then you hit me again with something even bigger and better. And I'm like, well, I want to talk about that. And then you hit me with Barack Obama and I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's the top. I mean, that's amazing. You have, I mean, clearly not knowing you as well as I know you now, because I'm learning more about you now, you have lived a purpose-driven life. I mean, this is, yeah. this is, 
why I exist and why the people that I try to attract to me uh, exist is to be purpose-driven. And I think that you have um, walked the walk and think, I think for sure people recognize that. Um, I recognize that not even knowing what I now know, um, but I, I, I'm blown away. This is so much to take in. I, I feel like I, I just ate a full Thanksgiving meal at once. I was like enjoying the appetizer and then you hit me with the entree and now the dessert. Wow. This is incredible. What a journey. I mean, and you, and you know what it is, my friend, it really is just being intentional, treating everyone in the way that you'd want to be treated, showing up and always putting your best foot forward. Because I never thought in a million years I would be doing this type of work. I, you know, I went to school to get a business degree and I thought I would be working in marketing and sales forever. But, you know, I think that I bring my authentic self. I yes. always help the underdog because, you know, and I think we'll talk about this maybe a little later on. I wasn't, you know, growing up while I grew up in a middle-class family, I still had a lot of struggles growing up. I was uh, diagnosed with dyslexia in the fifth grade, but back in the eighties, they didn't really, right. really diagnose children um, that often. You were just slow, right? And school was so, so challenging to the point where I would claim that I was sick. I was going to all of these doctor's appointments because I just didn't want to go to school. But there was a teacher named Virginia Johnson who believed in me. She said, I will not let this little brown child fail. And she was my fifth grade teacher. And they wanted to put me back in school two years. They wanted to put me back to the third grade. And um, I know you haven't met me in person. I'm a very tall woman. I'm five nine. And I was probably about five nine uh, in the fifth grade. My daughter's five nine now in the eighth grade. So I was, you know, I was a very tall child. And she said, for her emotional well-being, we will not put her back two wow. years of school. What I'm going to do is I'm going to finish teaching her the fifth grade. Then I'm going to stop teaching the fifth grade and go to the sixth grade so I can follow her to the sixth grade and teach her in the sixth grade. And we're going to get her where she needs to be. So um, my parents got involved. Uh, my mother got me tutoring uh, all the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth grade um, where I grew up high school didn't start until 10th grade. And by the time I went to the 10th grade, I was a fluent reader, which I was not in the fifth grade. I could hardly read in the fifth grade. I graduated from high school with a 3.8, got a full academic scholarship to wow. Clark Atlanta. I applied to 18 schools and got into 17 of them. I got into um, the majority of the UC schools in California. That's where I'm from, you know, UC Berkeley, UCLA, UC Santa Cruz. And I purposely picked going to an HBCU because I knew that's where I would get uh, what I needed to be the person that I am today. So that's why I do what I do. I want to pay it forward. I want to be intentional and I want to leave my mark on society. And so it's not just about the money because trust me, anyone who works in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space <laughs> does not do it for the money. Yeah. I hear you, I hear you, I hear you. <laughs> we do it because we are passionate about equaling the playing field. I want to say again, my jaw is dropped. Uh, you know, back then they barely diagnosed dyslexia, but they certainly didn't know what to do to treat it or to help it. Right. So Correct. what a wonderful woman this teacher was. She totally invested herself in your well-being and she's 
walk in the walk long before we had phrases like equity through inclusion or one mind at a time or absolutely you know, i love yeah. this and she was she was president at my wedding she is wow. still in contact with my mother she's an amazing woman oh yes. you're bringing tears to my eyes because <laughs> those teachers you know, teachers like that, there are many and they go unnoticed, unrewarded, unrecognized, certainly underpaid. Absolutely. Um, I just think that's an amazing, uh, the fact that you brought her onto this podcast. Wow. I hope she hears this and, you know, goes to bed at night thinking I've done a good thing, you know? Yes. So that's amazing. I, I would guess she's your inspirational mentor that you, you know, or is there someone else who, or maybe many people have mentored you? Absolutely. I think through every stage in my life, um, there's been different mentors. She definitely at a very, very early age was a great inspiration. And she just spoke power into me on a daily basis. Um, but I would say my number one inspirational mentor would have to be my mother. Um, my mother, you would have never thought we weren't the richest people in the world because we were rich with love. She, uh -huh. uh, my mother birthed just my sister and myself, my older sister and myself. My parents uh, divorced when I was very young. My father got remarried and which brings along uh, my other brother, well, my brother and my other sister. But uh, we don't call ourselves half, half brother and sisters. There are four of us and we are all loved equally. My mother uh -huh. loves my other two siblings just as much as she loves me and my older sister. So, but she is the person who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. She was my confidant. She was my biggest cheerleader. She never missed a sporting event. She made sure I made it to all of my tutoring. And when I thought that I could not catch up, that I could not make it, she said, you're my child and you will be successful. And having her in my corner truly, truly let me know that I could be all that I put into myself. I just had to believe in myself. So she truly is my biggest, biggest inspiration. Oh, well, a shout one. out to mom, because the powerful phrase that, that, you know, not a lot of people experience in life is someone who believes in them when they did not believe in themselves. So Absolutely. that's a good mother. That is oh, a yes. good mother. And, and look, I interview women all the time and not a, a lot of times they say my mom, but most of the time, not so much. And when I hear a mom who says she believed in me when I didn't believe in myself, that's the kind of mother I am. And I, yes. I mean, I'm sure you are. You are the person who carries your child when your child needs to be carried. And that is, you know, until you can love the capital S self, right? Love yes. self first. They love you for you. And I think that's what good yes. parenting is. What a beautiful Absolutely. story. Well, thanks, mom, for creating this remarkable woman who's now in my life and inspires me for sure. Um, speaking of that, I personally have the strongly held belief that women should lift each other up and too often we tear one another down. Um, I know where that comes from. I'm not, you know, pointing fingers or anything, but let's focus more on how we can support other women, especially women in business. Do you have any ideas? Absolutely. So I definitely take the calls. I take the emails. I take the requests because, you know, we as women, I have seen through my career, because you're saying who have been your mentors, right? 
um, as it pertains to like work. I will have to say a lot of my mentors in my professional career have actually been men, right? And yes. men of men of all colors, you know, in all generations too. And they have been the ones who have helped shepherd me through, uh, whether it be my, you know, transition from civil rights to, to back to corporate or, you know, to nonprofit. Uh, I didn't get a chance to mention that after I was at the Democratic National Committee, I went on to be a presidential appointee under President Obama at the Department of Commerce. Uh, I was a third in command at the Minority Business Development Agency. But a lot of those opportunities where people saw something in me were from males. And so I said, you know what? While I appreciate all of these men who believe in me, I'm going to be intentional. Intentional. I know you heard me say that word a couple of times, but I'm very intentional in making sure that if a young woman, specifically if she's a, a recent college grad or if she is trying to maneuver her way through um, her company, I'm going to take that call. I'm going to give the advice that I can give, you know, and try to make some phone calls on their behalf if I really believe that they're a good candidate, because it's not often enough that we see women helping other women. And yeah. so while my time is definitely precious to me, if people are willing to meet after hours, if people are willing to meet early in the morning, you know, and definitely during COVID, because we were at home for so long, you know, I had more time to, to meet with people. I take on mentees and I try to not take on too many at a time because I make sure that I meet with them monthly. And um, I would say that if I take on about five a year, at least three of them are going to be women. Wow. Wow. So folks, she's the real deal. I mean, that's how I got to know her. That's how we ended up on this podcast. She took my call. Um, this is amazing. You're definitely, I, I don't have a daughter. I have three stepdaughters, but if I had a daughter of my own, um, and they're much older than my son. So it's, it's not been where we were all raised together, but they get along beautifully. But if I did have a daughter, I would want her to behave as you behave and articulate it the way you just articulated how women should support other women. Um, I think you're very fortunate to have a lot of men who sponsored you and mentored you and uh, showed you the ropes and believed in you. Um, I think that women need to let men do that and men need to do that more often. Um, I think that if more men sponsored women, we would combat the, the battle, you know, the, the fight that we have for equity would be an easier one. Absolutely. So, um, and you know, what's so interesting, the gentleman who introduced us, that's my mentee. So, no way. <laughs> oh, yeah, so you should give him a shout out. Tell me what you know about John. Yeah. So John Suber used to work at AARP and he was interested in getting into the supplier diversity and the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion space. And I said, absolutely, I will mentor you. And so um, I did mentor him out of AARP because there was not an opportunity for me to bring him on board to, to my team because I'm the director of supplier diversity for AARP for the past six years. But I was able to assist him in gaining some knowledge and uh, some work um, in this space. So he was able to transition over to Freddie Mac and to their supplier diversity program. And most recently, he's moved on, moved on to Mass Mutual in the supplier diversity space. And he is so ecstatic that he is able to work in an industry where he can give back. So shout out to John and yes. his beautiful family. 
I'll give him a shout out too, because um, I know him not nearly as well as you, but I, I love and, and respect him as you do. And everything you said there is true. I will say that he was uh, extremely open-minded. When I met him, we had a great conversation. We had several actually, maybe three or four, uh, asked the best questions, has learned how to connect authentically to people and allow them to bring their whole selves to show up, you know, not just, uh, you know, nine to five by the book of, you know, the way corporate America used to be hierarchical. And he's a transformational leader. That's what I'll say. He's very transformational. Absolutely. He seeks yes. feedback. Um, he gives kudos. He uh, phrases things in a way that makes you want to listen more and learn more. I think he's a leader. I Absolutely. And I, I look forward to seeing him surpass me and do great things in the industry of supplier diversity and even the greater good of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, I think y'all are both rock stars, let me just say. And, and I always say this to my team, a good leader is one who motivates and inspires others to do as well or better than she herself has done. So what a beautiful comment you just made. Um, about John. So, uh, well, let's bring it back to you, lady, because you are amazing. And I'm sure that it wasn't always a bed of roses. I know you talked a little bit about your dyslexia. Is there a time in your life that maybe you had a huge challenge or maybe a setback that you weren't expecting or um, maybe something that wasn't in your control? And if you're willing to share about that, could you tell us how you overcame it? Sure. So, you know, I would not be truthful if I didn't say I had many times in my life that's been challenging, you know, as an African-American woman, as a mother, as a person who lives in a state without any family members. It is, you know, it has been challenging um, many steps of the way. So to have that work-life balance as well. And so um, I felt um, there were times where I had to sometimes put my career on the back burner to uh, raise my children. My wonderful husband had started his own business and he was out of the country more than he was in country. And I felt as if, you know, was I not being fair to myself? Was I not being able to grow in the manner that I'm supposed to grow in because I was being the best mother that I could be while still, you know, having a career, but what I found as not necessarily a, a setback, but more of perfect timing, right? So while I absolutely enjoyed, you know, having my own business and then, you know, moving on to work for Reverend Jackson, when you work for such a dynamic leader as Jesse Jackson, a lot of responsibility comes with that, but also a lot of scrutiny comes with yeah. that. So while I was trying to transition from pure civil rights to more of a global diversity, um, equity and inclusion space, I found it kind of hard for corporations or associations to see me outside of seeing Jesse Jackson, right? Because I ran his DC office. And so I was definitely a face for Rainbow Push Coalition. So what was so amazing was that I was given the opportunity 
to go to the Democratic National Committee, which we knew was going to be a short stint, but then people could see me in a different light, right? So while I felt like it was challenging, while I felt that I was taking a step back in my career, because, you know, I went from, you know, running an organization to just running, you know, one sliver, which was the African-American outreach, it was so impactful. So I really believe that everything happens for a reason. If I would have never taken that role at the Democratic National Committee, I would have never gotten my appointment where I then got to be in charge of the only federal agency, third in command at the only federal agency that is mandated to help minority businesses grow to size and scale via capital contracts and emerging markets that where I could be so impactful. So I said, you know, it was challenging to come over that hump to, to be seen in a different light. But um, I, I truly believe what's for you is for you as long as you continue to do the great work. So Kimberly, what a great conversation we've had. You're a remarkable woman. You're delightful. I mean, those who are friends with you are very honored and blessed, I'm sure. And they know it. Um, but now's the point in the show where I give you the option. You can say no, but you have the option to answer what we call the wild card question. So the wild card question is a question that even I don't know. Um, If you're game, I'll go ahead and pull from a box of 144 questions and then you can risk it and answer the question on the fly. Or if you're not game, that's okay, no judgment. You can say no. What do you think? Well, I am game for the wild card question. And, you know, I'm a very strong type A person. So if I don't want to answer, I'll let you know. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So when I lived in Boston for 12 years, I really learned to appreciate who I am. And I am open, honest, and direct. So I appreciate that about you as well. Um, So, all right, I'm going to reach, I'm going to open my little box. I have 144 questions. Are you ready? I am my friend. Nice. This is very nice. I kind of have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I'm not sure. So (laughs) what do you believe is most important for happiness in this life? What's most important for happiness? So I really, truly believe what's most important is being your authentic self. It is so hard to really be happy and go through life if you're hiding something or if you're not showing up truly as who you are, whether that's in your family, whether that's in your home life, whether that's in your work life or whether it's in your educational life, being your authentic self. And I wasn't, I was not always my authentic self. I was being what people wanted me to be in my younger years, because, you know, the, the generation I grew up in is really, you know, don't speak unless you're spoken to, you know, be, uh, be quiet, um, try to be, to fly under the radar. But once I really was able to say, you know, I am dyslexic, but I'm great. I am type A, but I'm great. And then when I started taking the butts out is really when I realized this is me. It's not a but. I am an African-American woman who was raised in a single family home, a loving single family home, who 
happens to have learning differences, who may have to work a little harder to accomplish things that come naturally to others. But that does not mean I'm not equal. That does not mean that my reasonable accommodations make me any different or less than. While I am purposeful in helping the women and the disabled and the minority and the LGBT plus community and the veteran community, it's okay. It's not okay with a but, it's okay because that's authentically who I am. So I wear it with a badge of honor. And if people get tired of hearing it, if they can't swallow it, well, you know what? I guess they're just going to have to choke because I'm go. not <laughs> going to stop being who I am. And I will meet people where they are. I will help them come down the road with me, but some will come kicking and screaming. Some <laughs> will come because because they believe in it and some just need to be taught that diversity, equity, and inclusion truly make us stronger. You're amazing. You're amazing. So authenticity is my, you know, top three things you, you must embrace in this life. But I'll tell you with Grace, you um, are not alone in that you weren't that way when you're young. Because when we were young, we were taught, you know, who do you think you are, right? So then we grew older and wiser and said, you know, I am who I am. And I love that person. And your opinion of me is none of my business. So I love this. I, lo <laughs> I love this. I tell my son that you need to understand that other people's opinions of you, one, is not in your control. Just be your highest and best self and march on. And Correct. two, own and love who you are, right? So own your story, step in your power. You are that personified, Kimberly. You are a remarkable woman. Um, I know a lot of remarkable women. I consider myself a remarkable woman, but you're you someone I would, I, I would strive to emulate you and your positive attitude. And I think you've said this many, many times throughout the show, living intentionally, being mindful, uh, you know, march on with purpose. And I love that you, you, you definitely walk the walk and I'm so honored to know you and call you friend. For sure. Absolutely. And once you're a friend of mine, you're always a friend of mine. I so. feel it. I feel that for sure. And, you know, as we get older, I tell my husband and my son, I'm all about the four quarters when it comes to friends, not the hundred pennies, right? I want the four quarters, <laughs> not the hundred pennies. So um, thank you for that. I feel honored to have you in my circle. Let me ask you our final question. If people want to reach you, Kimberly, how can they do that? So there's a couple of ways. So LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. And I'm right there under Kimberly Marcus. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my picture is there. Um, another way to reach me is through professionally through work. And I work at AARP currently. And you can always reach me uh, that way. You can reach me through supplier diversity at AARP. Dot org. But if you just want to chit chat and, um, you know, get to know a little bit more about me, I would suggest you do LinkedIn or even on Facebook. Now I do have a Twitter account and, you know, uh, Instagram that my children set up for me. <laughs> so I don't check that as often. So I would say either through the supplier diversity at AARP.org or through LinkedIn. Well, Folks, I'm going to tell you, she's a joy, a pleasure, a delight, and it's an honor to be connected with Kimberly Marcus of AARP. I am connected with you on LinkedIn, but not on Facebook. I think we should definitely do that as soon as we hang up. I cannot wait to share your story. As everyone who listens regularly knows, 
I'll put a blog together. I'll have Kimberly's headshots and pictures that tell the story of her outside of her bio. I'll have her bio and any other assets she wants. And I'll include her LinkedIn link so that you can easily connect with her as well as her email address. Um, so Kimberly, it's been my pleasure. You've made my day and it's only 11.59 a.m. here. So <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, my friend. It's been my pleasure. Have a good day, everybody. Bye-bye.